The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the ninth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, it is so awesome to be here with you, the fine folks of St. Paul. I'm so grateful for your warm welcome and to see how things are done on the other side of Westmore Myers, right? <laughs> You've incredible, exciting things happening here too. I hear you're under a little construction, just like this much, right? What fun you'll have when it's all said and done. It is beautiful outside and I couldn't be more grateful for this opportunity to pray and play with you all today. And what a fitting day for Pastor Zach and I to be taken just a little bit out of our comfort zones, right? I, he, he's a pro and I know he'll do fantastic, but I just hope I don't fall down, right? The bar's a little lower here. But honestly, the kids can be the harder sell, okay? They know how things are supposed to go, and they're keenly aware when an outsider comes in and does things differently, right? So as long as I pass muster with them, we're good. And isn't that how it goes? Even if we're not aware of it, no matter what age we are, we feel it in our bones that there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things, right? I'm the mom of an 18-month-old, Maya, who's very much her own person. She loves dancing and pushing her little teddy bear around in her cart, and she's generally pleasant most of the time, right? But she's also entering that stage wanting to do everything herself. Okay, you all know what I'm talking about. And if I try to help, I'm just not doing it right. She doesn't have to say words to convey that, okay? Tantrums are the universal language. 
That's what I say. But I'm totally guilty of this right way to do things kind of mentality too. I've become a little obsessive with keeping the house quiet after she goes to bed. And I kid you not, my husband tries to go into a door and I'm like, you're not doing it right. Shh. You have to turn the knob 23 degrees approximately so it doesn't click so she won't wake up. Now, understandably, right, this is important because we want her to sleep through the night. But I do feel a little bit like a control freak sometimes. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one, right? Maybe it's the way we fold laundry or how we cut the grass. And we might be considered control freaks or maybe we're just particular with how we like things done, right? This is what happens in our readings today, too. The people in the desert wilderness have wandered far too long, right? They're over it. They're sick and tired of manna, that miraculous food that God just rains down on them and feeds them and gives them all their nutrition possible. But they pine for what they used to have back in Egypt. If you heard Deacon Gersine say they miss the leeks, the melons, the cucumbers, the onions, the fish. They seem to forget entirely about the whole slavery thing, right? Anything is better than one more day of God flakes. So what do they do? They write into the local speak out. They complain to Moses. And Moses whines to God, why did you give me such a thankless bunch? They're too much for me to bear. So God calls the 70 elders and spreads a little of Moses' spirit onto them. So Moses doesn't have to lead alone. They share Moses' load. But two men, Eldad and Medad, how fun are those names, they stay back from the meeting place and they still receive the same spirit. So Eldad and Medad start prophesying in the camp away from the rest of the crew. Someone sees them sharing the word of God without permission and they say, Moses, stop them. And Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets? As if to say, is good work being done in God's name? Then who cares? The more, the merrier, right? We can be so quick to form groups, to say who's in and who's out, who's doing things the right way and who's not. It's our human nature. We want to belong to something so much that once we do, our new group identity can be used to form walls and boundaries. Things have to be done just so. We're liable to forget why we do what we do and become solely concerned about maintaining the group, the us versus them. Jesus' disciples suffer from this human condition too. In the Gospel, John tattles to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop them because he wasn't following us. John and the disciples don't believe there's enough Jesus to go around. Their group identity and doing things the right way, a.k.a. their way, becomes more important than someone, anyone, doing good work in Jesus' name. Even the necessary, miraculous work of casting out demons. 
right? We impede the flow of the gospel good news when we think our way is the right way. When we forget that it's not about being right or wrong or in or out, it's about recognizing, as Jesus said, whoever is, isn't against us is for us. Even our tongues have trouble with this phrase, right? Because we're used to hearing it the other way. If you're not with us, you're against us. But Jesus flips it. Whoever isn't against us is for us. So it's about welcoming the stranger, sharing the load, not stopping them in their tracks and asking them for their membership card, right? Jesus always errs on the side of inclusivity. He's not about being a bouncer and patrolling who's with him. In fact, he demonstrates the opposite on a regular basis. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He touches the untouchable. He welcomes children at a time when they were not seen as important. At this point, the disciples still suffer from their desire to be the greatest. They approach the work of the kingdom from a scarcity mentality. This place ain't big enough for the both of us, right? That kind of thing. They, there can only be one of us, and we were here first kind of thing. So every time the disciples try to close the circle tighter and put walls around God's work, Jesus busts it right open. All are welcome in the Lord's name, especially those the world doesn't welcome. This can serve as a reminder for us that God's mission and vision stretches far beyond one church or even our idea of church, right? Look at us, how we've busted open boxes in this time of pandemic. This is a wonderful blessing in disguise. Our job as followers of Christ is to sometimes get out of the way and let God show us every possible avenue to sharing the good news. Embodying Jesus' wide welcome and recognizing that good ministry is happening all around us. Anyone doing good work in God's name who affirms God's values and opens the kingdom wide is worthwhile, legitimate, and acceptable in God's sight. There's no need to compete. There's space for all people under Jesus' umbrella. And let's be honest, dear church, we are stronger together. That's why I'm especially grateful for the ways our two churches have come together in recent years. Now, I've known Pastor Zach for more than 10 years, and we've worked together for going on four years. It's amazing how time flies. It's an added bonus I get to work with Deacon Christine, too. Over the years, Pastor Zach and I have shared Thanksgiving and Ash Wednesday services. We've led our Wednesday Bible study together. We've collaborated for confirmation and youth events, including a memorable lock-in. And recently, we had VBS together, and it was awesome. We have a lot in common as pastors and communities, but we also have very different styles and voices and ways of serving our communities. The ways we do things are different, and our identities based on our locations and our histories are unique, too. Yet we share a common mission as members of the body of Christ together. I'm proud and grateful we strive for collaboration over competition. 
I'm proud and grateful that we see the merit and worth of sharing and growing and learning together. The gospel good news can be broadcast farther and wider when we team up together. When we say there's no right way, there's only God's way. So thank you for your amazing and warm welcome this morning. I pray God continues to open our eyes and our ears to the ways we can join together to serve the people in this community. I pray for God to expand our vision and stretch us toward those that are different from us. That we affirm the saltiness within ourselves and all of God's people, lifting up all the times we think there's a right way for things to be done and stopping the next time those thoughts pop into our head. Pausing and getting out of the way so God can break open the boxes and do a new thing. In Jesus' name, amen.